<laughs> All right. Is that fair enough? All right. The second coming, O Son of God and Son of Man, Thou wast incarnate, didst suffer, rise, ascend for My sake. Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. Thy Word promises show Thy death until Thou come again. That day is no horror to Me, for Thy death has redeemed Me. Thy Spirit fills Me. Thy love animates Me. Thy Word governs Me. I have trusted Thee, and Thou hast not betrayed My trust. Waited for Thee, and not waited in vain. Thou wilt come to raise My body from the dust and, you re and reunite it to My soul. By a wonderful work of infinite power and love, greater than that which bounds the, heaven, the ocean's waters, ebbs and flows the tides, keeps the stars and the courses, and gives life to all creatures. This corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal immortality, this natural body a spiritual body, this dishonored body a glorious, glorious body, this weak body a body of power. I triumph now in thy promises as I shall do in their performance. For the head cannot live if the members are dead. Beyond the grave is resurrection, judgment, acquittal, dominion. Every event and circumstance of my life will be dealt with. The sins of my youth, my secret sins, the sins of abusing thee, of disobeying thy word, the sins of neglecting ministers' admonitions, the sins of violating my conscience, all will be judged. And after judgment, peace, rest, life, and service, employment, and enjoyment for thine elect. O God, keep me in this faith and ever looking for Christ's return. Amen? A Puritan prayer. Now, Puritans were covenantal. Let me read to you the word that would have thrown the whole prayer off sync for you, if you will. It says, I'll read it again, Thou wast incarnate, didst suffer, arise, and ascend for My sake. Thy departed... Thy departure was not a token of separation, but a pledge of return. I love that. Amen. Thy word, promises, sacraments, show thy death until thou come again. How many would have been, oh, what's a sacrament? Or, I don't like that. What's sacraments? What are sacraments? Okay. We would call them ordinances. And do the ordinance show His coming again? Absolutely. But a sacrament adds something to it. It's, it's ways of grace or means of grace. And they are not means of grace. That has already taken care of on the cross. Uh, uh, therefore, we never use that term and we avoid that term 
Because means of grace is Christ and Christ alone. There's nothing else. All right. We will sing one more song before the message this morning. And that is, Oh, Worship the King. We are going to one day worship the King right here on this earth. Oh, Worship the King. Good morning. We're going to be going live this morning again. And uh, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. I want to read, we're going to deal with a later verse, later verses, but I'm going to read the beginning of the chapter because he's going to start <laughs> answering it well soon. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when the disciples came to a point of the temple's building and point to point out the temple's building to him. 
And he said, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What will be what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? We are now going to discuss chapter 24, verse 27 through 31. Follow along as I read. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the signs of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to another. Verses 27-31 through 31 are talking about literally the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So the disciples ask, what is the coming? And He is telling them, well, here's now where the, when the coming is going to get. Now, it's interesting, they don't ask, when are you coming again? He says, when are you coming? Well, Jesus knew it was going to be again. But they did not. What they're asking is, when are you going to be king? When are you going to be king? When are you going to sit on your throne and be king? Well, we are on a timeline that we're going with very quickly. The church age, tribulation, and the kingdom are our main focuses through this text. The church age is when the Holy Spirit came and dwelt men. The church age will end at the rapture of the church. That will commence the seven-year tribulation. Halfway through the seven-year tribulation is the abomination of desolation. At the end of the tribulation will come, and this is where we're at today, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came earlier. We know that, right? He came over here. He came then the first time. The Jews rejected Him as King. They crucified Him. He rose again. He then ascended into heaven. After the ascension, Peter preached Acts chapter 2. And we find then that's when the Holy Spirit indwelt humanity. The beginning of the church age. He is coming again and it will be at this time. Now, that doesn't mean that's the time we're going to come with Him. We may or may not. I have no idea. The issue is, He has to set up the kingdom. There is a time frame in between here that we have marked off. Called There's 75 days. What We have no idea what happens for sure. We believe it's possible that He's setting up the kingdom. Because listen, remember we went through all the 
If you were not here last week, <laughs> you missed where we went through all of the bowl, trumpet, and seal judgments, uh, many of them anyways, and realized that there, there are judgments where 25% of the earth is destroyed, is killed. All water of the oceans are dead. I mean, these are horrendous things. All of that before Christ sets up His kingdom with His people and His glorified people, all believers, until that happens, there's got to be a cleanup. Clean up in aisle 9, right? Well, that's much worse than that. <clears throat> we read and discussed and preached through those that fleeing to the mountains. Last week we discussed the Antichrists and those that believe they are Christ that are coming and saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. He's coming. They said, behold, He is in the wilderness. Do not believe them. Below, behold, He's in the inner room. Do not believe Him. Why? Because the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be out of this world. Real. It will be real. This morning we are going to discuss and find out how He is coming. Now, there's a couple things in here. I'm just going to quickly go through these. I told you last week that I had a picture of a stone. Anybody remember what this stone is called? Very good. The Sabbath stone or a Sabbath stone. And that's a Sabbath stones were set outside of Israel because on Sabbath they could only walk as far as those Sabbath stones and then they had to turn around and go back and sit down. And they could not walk the rest of the day. That was the, that was the farthest they could, could go. Say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, we just found out when the Antichrist comes and starts persecuting and killing Jews, Jews are going to flee, flee, remember, to the wilderness. Pray that it's not when? On the Sabbath. Why? Because of that stone. <laughs> Because of the legalistic, orthodox, Jewish stone. Don't go in. By the way, I also have another picture. I have a picture of, remember, don't pray that it's not on the Sabbath or in the winter. Why winter? Okay, cold is part of it, but there's something more drastic than that. So that's their rainy season. It does snow once in a while, not very often, but it does snow and it does get cold. But it's the rainy season and literally you cannot cross the Jordan because of the flooding during, sometimes during the winter. Does that make sense? How many would like to see the flooding and, and know what that looks like? All right, I'll bring it next week. Another picture I will bring. It's so cool. Here's the deal. I ju we just bought the church as a whole. I'm using it for the life of Christ. Something like 30,000 pictures of Bible areas with the verses added to them. So it's already partly organized. I am so excited. All right. Let's get to our text. The Bible says, verse 27. So if we are not looking for, if, if those that are during the tribulation are not looking for, Jesus Christ coming in, in, he's in the wilderness or he's, he's secretly in a hiding place or in a bunker or whatever, 
When is he going to come? How is he going to come? Don't believe those guys. Verse 27 says, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know. Then he goes on, Where the corpse is, the vultures were gathered. I can't wait to get to this verse. There are some really crazy people in this world. I found at least two, if not three, commentators that equate the corpse to Jesus Christ. That's what I did. What? What? <sighs> anyway, can anybody in the Bible, can anybody find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus Christ is referred to as a corpse? Or illustrated as a corpse? Okay, we'll get there. How many are interested now? <laughs> All right. Verse 29, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, so we have a timing, we'll talk about that a little later, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. How is Jesus coming? It's going to be phenomenal. That's the best. That's the th Phenomenal. Is there any better word for that? I mean, just awesome. That's how He's coming. Jesus is coming again. First of all, for just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Let me ask you this. If just looking at the illustration, when a lightning storm comes, what happens? Does everybody wake up? Why? Like, like explosions, like trees bursting into flames, right? Well, no one's ever seen that. But we hear the break of the of the thunder and the lightning, right? With lightning does it come thunder. It's accepted, yes. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. This is a lightning strike on the coast near Tel Aviv. Um, this is in Israel. Everybody in Israel will have seen the flashes and heard the kabooms. They know something has happened. They know the storm is coming. Another one. This one is the lightning is the storm of the, in the Judean hills. Jesus is not here in some hiding place. It's the antithesis of what the Antichrist is. Oh, He's been here all along. We've kind of kept Him away for a bit. Kind of like someone else. My wife understands immediately. We just keep Him in the White House. He doesn't come out very often. <laughs> We've got somebody that's in charge of everything, but we kind of hide Him away. Or, He's in the wilderness gathering His troops. No! Jesus Christ is not coming like that at all! Amen! All that pomp and circumstance for, for humanity is bleh, nothing! Thunder's going to lightning, storm, 
I mean, stars are going to fall. We're going to find out. Moon goes black. Sun goes dim. Are you kidding me? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be phenomenal. He's coming again. It will be a, and here's the deal, a triumphal entry. <laughs> Remember when He says, you will not see Me again until you say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, they did that the first time. They ripped off, now just think about this, they ripped off the palm branches to lay down. It was a triumphal entry. Fanfare. The best that they could do. Well, it's the best that humanity could do. Now Jesus Christ is coming again and it is His party. And it is His way. And it is His angels. And it is going to be phenomenal. Can you say that word with me? Phenomenal. It is. It's going to be phenomenal. Everyone will know. It's not going to be this secret. Oh, let's go get him, okay? I really believe... <laughs> Never mind. Stop being political. <laughs> How do we know what that looks like? Well, Acts chapter 1.11, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched Him go to heaven. Okay, get this. Just like Jesus went up into heaven, so is He going to come down. It's not going to be in the wilderness sneaking around. Is it safe yet? It's not in a little room and coming out. No, He's coming from heaven. He's coming from heaven. Now, how many have ever or questioned why many Christians believed in a flat earth? And why many Christians were very much against Galileo with his round earth theory. How many ever questioned that? How many can see why Christians wouldn't want to have that happen? Because of this text. How many understanding? He's coming every... How many, how many people are going to see God coming? Christ coming? Everyone! How is everyone going to see Him? Let's just say He comes to Israel. Imagine that. What's the opposite of Israel on the other side of the globe? I have no idea, but it's some place. <laughs> How are they going to see Jesus coming? How many, okay, how many understand and give readings? I mean, people didn't know back then. How many could say, okay, yeah, that's why it's flat. Everybody can see Jesus coming because it's flat. It works. Well, here's the deal. We know it's not flat. It's round. Oh, my! How exciting and vibrant and explosive and screaming and all the pomp and circumstance for a globe all to see Jesus Christ coming again. Amen? I mean, we're going to see Him wherever He... He's coming to Israel. We know that. Everybody, the whole world will see Him. And He's going to come just like He left. How do you know, Pastor, that everybody's going to see Him? Well, there's the verse. Uh, there's that. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 says, Behold, He's coming with clouds. How many of you ever watched a man come out with clouds out of a wilderness? Or clouds out of the inner room. Only a drug addict. 
Listen! He is coming in the clouds. Every, and every eye will see Him. Even those who pierced Him. Everybody will see Him. Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. The kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders of the rich and the strong and every slave and free man will hide themselves in the caves. Uh-oh! It's up. We're in trouble now. They know why. They've been out there killing Christians. They've been out there slaughtering believing Jews. They're out there destroying them. Why? Because of God. And now God is on His way down and they're like, uh-oh. Now we're in trouble. And they, here's the problem. They know about God. If they didn't know about God, why would they go hide themselves? As if you can hide yourself. They run away. They run away amongst the rocks and the mountains. Do you see anything that's really cool here? Who were the last people that ran into the mountains and hid themselves? The believers to get away from the bad guys. And now everything's is swapped. Why? Because the King of Kings is on His way. The lightning is shining. The trumpets are shouting. The everyone can see Him. The cloud is coming. God is coming! And these people see Him coming and they go and they hide themselves in the mountains. And they will say the mountains and the rock, fall on us! Hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. He's going to kill us. Hide us. Let's kill ourselves first. By the way, that's kind of a depraved idea. Oh, no. I can't believe I did this. We're going to keep it on this. And just for a second, I hate to do this, but I have to. I am sorry for this pause, but... Now I can't even find it, so let's do this. All right, can you go get my page, please? I did not print my sermon notes. I was too excited. (laughs) 
Fall on us. Hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of God. Folks, everybody will know. Is it true? Everybody will know. Amen. Is it true He's coming in the clouds? Amen. Is it true that there's trumpets? You will find out. Yes, there are. All those things are true. Is it like lightning from the east and from the west? Therefore, we've got this idea that the sound is going off, the lights are going off, the clouds are coming. It, is a ma- it almost looks like a major storm, and boy, it is a major storm. Because Christ is coming with a vengeance. And His triumphal entry is phenomenal. It is outstanding. It is mind-blowing. Now, all of a sudden, we have this issue. Believers, they're the ones hiding in the mountains, right? They're hiding from people. They're excited. Woo! Here he comes! Yes, yes! Praise God! I mean, the whole world, it probably, the whole universe can hear the Christians screaming, praise the Lord, right, mate? Because you've got Christians screaming for it. You've got angels trumpeting for it. You've got lightning flashing for it. We're going to see what else happens. And then you've got the other guys, the unbelievers. They're screaming and running as if their heads are cut off. And they're fleeing to the mountains. Something totally different. Believers are going to be ecstatic. Unbelievers, not so much. Not so much. Then the Bible says this. So, How many are excited about all this is going on? This is great, right? Well then, what happens? Verse 28. It says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. I mean, here we've got this exciting time of what's happening, right? Christ is coming again, and we're all excited as believers, and then He throws this verse in here, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, What does this mean? How many of you have eagles will gather? Okay. That word is better translated vultures, to be honest with you. Um, Because it's talking about dead things. It's talking about flocking or a a, a big group of them. Do you remember the last flock of eagles you saw eating a deer? Or did you see two? (laughs) Two. (laughs) They don't flock. They don't flock. They're here all the time. Vultures, not so much. They do flock. This is probably, by every account I can find, this is a common proverb. How many know what a proverb is? It's a saying that means something. A proverb today would be, man, that's really cool. Okay, Type of thing. It's a saying that means something different than the actual meaning. Okay, but I don't know that it is. But I'm on the outside of most commentators, of all commenters. I still haven't found anybody that agrees with me. That's a problem. But watch this. I don't think it will be. So this is, this is exactly what the picture is, is it not? What's being talked about is exactly this picture where the vultures are coming. 
If you would understand what they're trying to say, it's an image very similar to other images where it's talking about those who have died are immediately then are found. The sentiment is quite proverbial. In other words, do vultures find corpses all the time? It's uncanny, is it not? We have a dead deer next to our shop, and the vultures are still trying to eat it, and ravens. They can find, it's unbelievable the way they can find them, but they will find them. That's what they want to say. Okay, It's, it's, it's a, pro, a proverbial. Here's how some of these commentators explain it. I will read it to you, and then at the end I'll give you my, interp- my understanding as a possibility. By the end of the Great Tribulation, the world will have been filled up of its full of measure of sin and will have spiritually decayed into a wretched and virtually lifeless carcass. As it lies like a dead animal in the wilderness, Christ will appear to make final disposition of that corpse through His right, righteous, and terrible judgment. Now, that guy says that the it's not the corpse that is Christ it is who the vultures the vultures are a picture of Christ how many agree with that all right let's go to the next one shall we nobody will need to direct christian disciples to the son of man as unerringly as vultures gather to the corpse, so, will the, they, so they will find themselves gathered without prompting to the Son of Man. Alright. That is Noland in the Greek commentary. It's one of my favorite ones. Problem is, he didn't say that Christ or that the vulture is a picture of Christ, he said that the corpse is a picture of Christ. Are you confused? All right, shall we read some more? The words may be well-known proverbial saying, This is Morris. I believe that's world commentary. Bringing out the truth that it is the dead body and not something less that attracts vultures. Okay. The thought will be that the spiritually dead inevitably attract judgment. So they're spiritualizing it and saying this is, you know, it's a judgment. Again, what is he calling Christ? Vulture. Blomberg. I think that's the New American commentary. Verse 28 concludes that the paragraph by describing metaphorically how all people will be drawn to see Christ upon His return, just as certainly as vultures gather to devour a corpse or animal carcass. Calvin, following some of the fathers, sees it portraying God's children gathering to feed on Christ. Others see an illusion of Roman military eagles. That's where they get the Roman issue. Because it says eagles, they say, ha, 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 it means Roman. Well, everybody, every theologian totally disrespects. They say no. Both covenant and 
dispensational. No, that's not true. It's vultures. It has nothing to do with the eagles. On any listen, anytime we start, see eagles, we think of America. We think of Rome. Don't think that way. <laughs> Please don't. All right. Let's keep going here. Um, but they see this as eagles and not vultures, saying that, see, this is, when, this is the downfall of Rome because the eagles came and devoured Jerusalem. Did you get there? Oh, me neither. Hill and others think that the vultures gathering indicates that the parousia is near, but there must be carrion or birds before the vultures gather. Or, Sorry, you must be carry on before the vultures gather. So the symbolism breaks down because the signs attest the reality only after the fact. Manson says emphasis of the swiftness of the coming of the Son of Man. The carrion is no sooner than the vultures swoop down. In this passage, the vulture symbolizes speed. It was understood to mean an eagle and not a vulture. The proverb may be a colorful way of, explain, of, of saying that things come to pass at just the right time. Um, okay, I, I can go through a whole bunch of them. This one I thought, Hagner, I thought was, if I remember right, at least was somewhat cerebral. Sorry. <laughs> the most natural application of the imagery is to judgment, which may be the point of the proverb here. When a son of man comes, the judgment of the world will take place. On the other hand, since there is no reference to judgment in the immediate context, it may be that the proverb points primarily to the unmistakable character of the Perugia. Thus, as surely as you know that where you see vultures gathered, there is a carcass, so you will not be able to miss the coming of the Son of Man. This interpretation has the advantage of being fully cognizant. Imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> With the context of the immediate preceding verses, now, whether the eagles or vultures, it doesn't matter, but a reference to the Rome does not make sense here as it might have in the previous or preceding context, nor does the carrion symbolize anything in particular. As tempting as it appears, this is why I love this, as tempting as it appears, too many commentators, uh, I'm sorry, as tempting as it appears to too many commentators, the proverb need not be allegorized. Imagine that. I agree. Well, so then what in the world is this? Okay, I can see the proverbial speed at which the vultures can find the corpse. And we're just talking about the speed. Okay, maybe. But I think it's more real than that. It's more literal than that. Why does Jesus come? What's the first thing He does? How many would like to know? Alright, well let's go there. Revelation chapter 19. What is Revelation chapter 20 about? The Millennial Kingdom. What is chapter 21 about? The Eternal State. Or it's hitting there. First night, chapter 19 then is before the millennium, after, at the end of the tribulation, 
That's our timing. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fight, fine linen, white and clean, were following him on a white horse. From his mouth comes what? A sharp sword, so that, it may he, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. When is he going to rule them with a rod of iron? During the millennial kingdom. So he's taking a sword and killing a bunch of people before the millennial kingdom, when he's on this earth, has to be during the coming of Christ and before the millennial kingdom. Amen? Okay, so, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God. Why in the world would you have all these commentators trying to do something weird when you have the text right there? Why would you do that? Listen, my God is no corpse. And to imitate and intimate that is ridiculously dumb and blasphemous. He is not a vulture. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. It says it in the text. So why in the world are all these vultures coming when Jesus comes? That's the first thing He does. He wipes them out and kills them. It's called the battle of what? Armageddon. When you see this, when you see, listen, if I were in the tribulation period and I was hiding in the rocks, I certainly would wait for the vultures to come because then I know Jesus has been there, killed them all, and I'm ready. I'm good. Amen? Then you come out of the rock. <laughs> My king's in charge. My king's here. I love you could almost, now it says birds, but you could almost say, for this text, vultures. Come, assemble for the great supper of God. How many are excited about this? Praise God for this. How many, are just, how many did I just express to you, be careful about commentaries? Be careful. It was the battle of Armageddon. <clears throat> verse 29 but immediately after the tribulation of those days the sun will be darkened the moon will not give its light the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken but immediately after the tribulation of those days what is that? We have a timing. Do we not have a time? There is going to be a great tribulation. After that tribulation, Jesus is coming again. It is immediately after the tribulation of those days. Timing is clear. <clears throat> the heavens are, are marked. I love this. I love this. And I don't. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you a guy. One of the 
the best guy <laughs> of all those commentators that at least it's about the swiftness. That's it. So he didn't equate it. It's about the swiftness. Here's the reality. He does a phenomenal job on this verse. So the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will shine. Well, that's talking about eclipse, right? Uh, nope. Not talking about eclipse. Why do we know it's not an eclipse? Suns, stars fall from the sky? Sun is darkened. Moon does not give its light. What is it talking about? Well, we have a glimpse of it in that uh, Septuagint. No, that's the Hebrew text. This is Isaiah uh, chapter 13, verse 10. Shall I read it to you? <laughs> oh, come on. We've got to have a little bit of enjoyment. Right? It says, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in its going forth, and the moon shall not cause its light to shine. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 10. The great, this is the great Isaiah scroll owned by the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. Just so you know. This is the very text. Pretty cool, huh? So what is this then? If it's not an eclipse and some kind of nuclear warfare that they're blowing stars out of the sky. Whatever. What is this? Let me suggest this. I think this guy is dead on. The heavenly portents here are marks of submission in the face of a visitation of God. The sun, moon, stars are glorious heavenly bodies Frequently identified as what? What does humanity do with those things? Worships them. Exactly. Why? Because of their brilliance. Because of their glory that is shown. So now, here comes King Jesus coming down from heaven and all of a sudden, their glory? Nothing. They are submitting. How many of you see that? I, I think it's phenomenal. It's just a great picture. They must humble themselves when God acts. When God's glory is revealed, their glory becomes veiled. The language has strong echoes of Isaiah 13.10, which we just read. I can just, I can just imagine. Here, they've been called gods. They've been looked at as gods. Their brilliance is their glory. And what has God come? They're nothing. But, his creation. They're His creation. This is what we would call the exercising the functions of deity on the grandest scale. And I would agree 100%. <clears throat> now, if you can imagine the sun, the moon, the stars all darkened, as Christ is coming to this earth in all His glory and array. What is the only thing that brightens the sky? 
Why do you think He said like lightning and showers coming in the clouds? Vast, beautiful bursts of glory. We're going to see angels with trumpets blowing them as they come. Wow, what an entry! You know, it, it, some of you watch sports, some of you don't, but these sports, you know, they, they even go down to the, to the peewee league. Introducing at five foot nothing. <laughs> and there's his name. And he comes out in all pomp and circums. Here I am. Or they have glitter. Or they <laughs> they don't, all they but they're blowing the trumpet, and here he comes. He's the only thing that's lighting the earth, lighting the sky up. The sounds of thunder, the claps of lightning. God is coming. What a great day. The Bible then says, and then the sign of the sun will, a man will appear in the sky. And then all tribes of the earth. Okay, if it says it once that everybody sees him come, and it says it again that everybody sees him come, guess what? Everybody's going to see him come. They will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of sky with power and great glory. You know that sun? How many think that sun is a powerful thing? Is there anything more powerful than the sun? Let me ask you, that we know of. A bigger sun. Yeah. At the coming of the Christ, this bright... nothing I am here that's what he's saying now this passage of scripture the son of man coming in the clouds of the sky that is found in a great passage in Daniel chapter 17 or Daniel chapter 7 sorry this is awesome by the way I never learned I never knew anything about this till now this is new to me and I was I'm I'm excited about this I kept looking in the night vision and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancients of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations of, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Does anybody see what happens here? I think we overlook this sometime. The Ancient of Days gives Him power. Is that true? Yes. How did that happen? He goes before the King. So what is that picture of? The picture is Jesus Christ standing before God, God the Father. Is that not the picture? That's the exact picture. He was given dominion, and to Him He was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now, what kind of kingdom is this? All the peoples of, all the, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Okay, so we have 
this kingship will be of humanity, is it not? That's very clear. And they're going to serve Him. Guess what that word serve means? Lizzie likes this. Work. Same word. Work. I will tell you, and I'm, this is an aside because it just gets under my skin and in my blood. And I've been reading it for a long time. Nothing frustrates me more than going to a job site and watching lazy workers. How many understand? How many empathize with me? <clears throat> I remember, and I've told you this before, I was in my attic of my house in, Grand, in, in Wapaka, Wisconsin. I had to get four by eight sheets of sheetrock on the ceiling. So that means it's four by eight by five eights. Had to go on the ceiling and then it gets screwed off. So I had one of the young men from the school, I said, hey, would you mind coming and helping me put up this sheetrock in my house? Yeah, I'd like to do that. So he follows me to the house. I get to the house. I grab the sheetrock, one end, and he's watching me. <laughs> then he proceeds to sit down. I will be honest, this was sin on my part. I got a little frustrated. I grabbed the middle of a 4 by 8 sheet, 5 eighths sheetrock, put it on my arms, lifted it up, and stomped upstairs to the attic. Then I crawled in the attic with the thing, put it up there, and screwed it off. I immediately took him home because he watched me do everything. This is the attitude that I hear and I see and it's wrong, it's sinful, and it's ungodly. Work is a blessing, not a curse. No, 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 no. You've got to understand. See, I'm going off in my paper here. Work happened after the fall. Remember, he had to toil away and work. No, 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 no. Read the Bible. The Bible says that he was to till and keep the garden. That word till, cultivate, means work. Work is a thing, a blessing, an a, a, a opportunity, a fun thing to be enjoyed, given to you specifically by God. Anybody who says, and, and, and I'm telling you, anybody who says, work is a four-letter word. Say, can I talk to you about Jesus Christ because you, my friend, need to be saved. It's that bad. We, I enjoy, uh, sometimes I work too much. This last week, my wife and I were out working for people till nine at night. Three nights. I'm tired. I'm worn out. But to see some of these people's faces brings joy to know that God used me to serve them. Amen? It's about serving God and others. 
You know what? If you don't like work, you better hope you're not saved. That's how ridiculous our world has... <sighs> Just go into the political realm with this work thing. They're promoting that work is bad. And that sitting at home doing nothing is good. That's blasphemous to God. And listen, it's not about... Uh, 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 oh boy, I see I got on a tangent. I'm sorry. Actually, can I finish the thought? Is that okay? Okay. So I was talking with a, a, a godly man and I told him what I was doing my dissertation on the doctrine of work, the doctrine of vocation. He's like, oh yeah, I understand that. I'm going to a church this real soon here and I'm going to teach them how they can share their faith at their work. You missed everything I just said. There's, now, you should share your faith at your workplace. But you don't do it outside or, or instead of your work. When you toil and do the best job you can do at your work, you are a testimony to the Lord. No matter what it is. At one time in history, it was pastors are the greatest vocation in the world. And everybody else are just lay people. And those are the words they used. Clergy, laity. Baloney. I don't care if you're a ditch digger, a sewer pumper, a pastor, whatever you are. That job you do to the best of your ability, that is glory to God. Amen. Work is important. And, and it, we find it right here. All the peoples. and many, This is the millennial kingdom, folks. I'm telling you. That we might what? Serve Him. That means work. Toil. Sweat. For Him. Do you know what the, do you know what the, uh, 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 the, the priests did in the temple? They worked. Matter of fact, the word worshipped. They worshipped God. Do you know what worship means there? It's the same word for work. Work and worship are inseparable. They are. Okay. We're done with that? Let's go on, right? Now, Revelation 5 gives us some little bit of... of Details that were really cool. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the th throne with four living creatures and elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven head, horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Hold it now. Let's go back here. And it was given to him dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Do you see what's going on here? This Daniel 7 is explaining, or 
Revelation chapter 5 gives us more detail of what's taking place in Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, God is, Christ is given dominion and glory. How is He given dominion and glory? Well, in Revelation 5, He's given something to give Him that. Do you want to see that? There's a, there's a transfer there. How many see that? This book. He took the book out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. Here is your uh, uh, document Proof or whatever you want to call it. Here it is for you. You now have dominion over what? Over what? This is really important. I missed this before. I understood, yes, he's given dominion power. Got that, got that. I know it's a book, whatever. I didn't connect the two. Here's why it's important. Why is it important that Jesus Christ was given a book from God in order to have dominion and power? Where? Where? On the earth. On the all things on the earth. This is an earthly kingdom. He is God Almighty is giving Jesus Christ the keys to the earthly kingdom in essence. That's what's going on. I began to weep greatly. He took this book. Oh, where did I see that? Out of the right hand and gave it to him and said, let's keep reading it because it's important. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elves fell down before the land, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and break its seal. For you are slain and purchased for God with your blood Men from every tribe and every language and tongue, people of nation, you have made them to be kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon thee. What? They will reign upon the earth. So here's the deal. God and Jesus are standing face to face. God gives the book to Jesus. He is the only one that can break that seal and bold judgment and all these things happen. And at the end, it is because of one thing. He becomes king of the what? Earth. It's an earthly kingdom. It's an earthly kingdom. You can't get anywhere else from there. Here's what you can do. Well, that happened in eternity past. All revelation isn't future, it's past. But you can do anything you want to. Right? You, this, what, is, what does it mean to you? How many say, that don't work? That dog don't hunt? Not at all. How many can see this, what's going on here? That's pretty awesome. The Lord says to my Lord, this is a very important passage of Scripture. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, <clears throat> the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from where? Saying, rule where? In the midst of your enemies. Okay. Just for a second. How in the world is this talking about heaven? 
Rule in the midst of your enemies. That makes zero sense. And I will tell you, they, well, Zion can mean Jerusalem, or it also means heaven. And here it means heaven. What? What? It's ruling and reigning with a rod of iron from Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David. This has a lot of inklings with Zechariah chapter 12. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will mourn for him as one I'm sorry so that so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn who is this talking about you know what we never go to Zechariah let's go to Zechariah Zechariah 12, verse 10, we've already read here. I will love the phrase, so they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn. Do you remember Isaiah 53? Let's go there. Put your marker in Zechariah 12. This is really good. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. Okay, so who's, who is this about? Jesus Christ. Just for a second, follow along as if Israel is saying this at the second coming of Christ. For he grew up. Do you see that? Is that past or present tense? Grew up, past tense. Before him like a tender root. Like a root. He had, has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, not, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised. Past or present? And forsaken. Past or present? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one whom men hid their face. He was, past or present, despised and we did not esteem him. How many can see the Jewish people saying this about Jesus coming again as they're watching Him come? This is the guy. This is what we did. This is what happened to Him. Then look what happens in verse 4. Surely our griefs Himself 
bore and our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted he was pierced through for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the chastisement for our well-being fell upon him and by his scourging we are healed all of us like sheep have gone astray each one of us turned in his own ways but God the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on Jesus Christ he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears so he did not open his mouth by oppression and judgment was he taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom stroke was due his grave was assigned with the wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilty offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of, the, of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion of the great. And he will divide the booty with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death, he was numbered with transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressions. I tell you what, I've always looked at that passage as a passage talking about historically, it, it was a prophetic to the time of Christ, what happened to Christ. I no longer see that anymore. It's prophetic to the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Jews are going to sit, stand there and they are going to see the one whom they have pierced and they are going to glorify and praise Him. And one of the ways of doing that is reading Isaiah chapter 53. Because that's exactly what they did. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 falls right in with that. Let's keep reading. I will pour out of the house of the David and on the inhabitants of Israel in the Spirit of grace and of supplication. Why? So that they will look on Him, Me, whom they have pierced. They will mourn for Him as one mourns for an only son. Do you see them broken and weeping because they see the one they have killed? They will weep bitterly over Him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Why? He was their firstborn in essence. In that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadarim Raman. I tried to be fancy, I wasn't. In the plain of Megiddo, in the land will, the land will mourn every family by itself. Watch this. Who is this talking about? The family of the house of David by itself. Their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Nathan by itself. And their wives by themselves. The family of the house of Levi by itself. And their wives by themselves. The family of the Shemite. Shimeonites, Shimeites by itself and their wives themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself and their wives by themselves, they will do what? Weep and mourn for what they had done. 
to Christ. That's exactly what's going to happen at the second coming of Jesus Christ. He will send forth His angel with a great trumpet. They will gather together His elect from the four winds from the end of the sky to the other. He's bringing His people to Himself. How do we know that? Passage of Scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 30. You could go all the way back there. The Bible says, Then the Lord, your God, will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Listen, the Jews are scattered throughout the world today. They were scattered throughout the world a long time ago. God will gather all of them together. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord will gather you. And from there He will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. They have not possessed it fully yet. And He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Let me ask you, have the Jews, has Israel ever been as prosperous as it has since Solomon? No. Oh, it will be. It will be. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise... What? Does that have kingdom language or not? We all should know, oh yeah, that's all kingdom there. Heart and the heart of your descendants... To do what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. I'm telling you, this goes right to the heart of soteriology. It goes right to the heart of the millenniology. Those that are there, God loves them. They love God. Every believer loves God. Anyone who says, I'm a believer, but I hate God, is a liar. The truth is not in him. God will circumcise your heart, he's telling Israel. By the way, we just read about the trumpet. How many know what that looks like? You know, it's nice and shiny brass, and you know, it's got all those things in it, right? Is it how many want to see the trumpet? The bronze age trumpet. Bronze age middle bronze age trumpet. <laughs> it's just a horn. <laughs> but angels are blowing it. Let me ask you, just, this is just a thinking outside the Bible and outside your box, okay? If a man blew that, would it be kind of cool to hear what it sounds like? Can a man make it as loud as an angel could make it? Uh, nope. Can you imagine the time when the angels are blowing the trumpets for the coming of the Messiah. Oh man, that's going to be awesome. That will be great. This horn, by the way, is on display in the Archaeological Museum at Naples. The Bible says it this way, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until, until, until. There's an end game. There's an end game. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, or in essence, finished. 
until they are done. When will they be done? The end of the tribulation. When God comes in His phenomenal way with lightning, thunder, lights, darkened all, and only His light is bright and can be seen by all. Trumpets blaring. Christians screaming. Vultures happy to eat all the dead people at Armageddon. All that takes place. Why? Jesus is coming again. Amen? Jesus is coming again. How many would say amen? I'll try it one more time. I'm giving you a heads up. I just went through how He's coming through all the Scripture that I'm aware of. Let me ask you. Are you excited that Jesus is coming again like that? Oh, you wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Jesus is coming again! How many want to sing something so awesome? I, I can imagine we'll sing this song when He comes. I can't wait. Now, at this time, our friends on the uh, live stream are going dark. Bye. We have to sing a song that may or may not be copyrighted. And they will shut us down. So, Are we off? Alright, let's all stand. We're going to sing this song. And then, immediately after the following of this song, Mr. Scott's going to come and close us in a word of prayer. This song, I'm telling you, it's not all about His coming, but it's, it can be used as His coming for sure. By the way, Oh,